before we start, here's a message from one of our friends. In a world of video stores and late fees, when movies ain't what they used to be, one podcast will change the world. They will embark on a journey to look at the good and bad movies from the golden era of home video. And things are about to get nostalgic. The VHS will rise and screaming will fall. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dave, this has got to be the worst promo I have ever heard. No, it isn't. If you're going down the route of the video trailer, man, Dave, I want a training montage. Coming soon on a podcast near you. If you listen to one podcast this week, then you're probably listening to Joe Rogan. But if you've exhausted all of the podcasts, then the VHS Strikes Back is one to try. Welcome to the show where people share their passions. Everyone is a geek about something. I am your super dummy Paul on a mission to learn from people's experiences. This is Era of Geek. Don't forget to help us out by telling people about the show and leaving a review. Let's get back into our learning experience with another voice many of you will recognize. My name is Professor Elemental. Um, you might know me from uh, the Information Superhighway. Uh, I got well known for doing a couple of videos quite a few years ago, one about tea and the other one about fighting trousers. And now I make my way into the world uh, creating very silly rap songs about inclusivity and village fates and garden gnomes and that sort of thing. Uh, and it's very nice to be here. Nice to have a chat. I mean, what else do you need in life, really, other than those three? That's what I've realised. That is, you know, once once I'd found a way of making a living talking nonsense, I, I realised that's all I really needed in life. <laughs> I think um, increasingly as I get older as well, I've realised that ambition is a waste of everybody's time. Like we're all striving for the next thing. I've plateaued now. I'm doing. I'm not doing any worse, but I'm not doing any better. I'm just. That's it now. Um, there is no. Kind of forwards. There's no big plan. I'm just there. I quite like it. <laughs> well, I think that's. I think that is the secret to life, isn't it? It's just enjoying what you're doing, and it. It sounds bad, but accepting it for what it is. But we all have the thing that we like, and sometimes we we get too caught up looking for the next thing that we actually forget to just sit and enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. That is the absolute, that's the, the sort of greatest lesson that I think being in my 40s has taught me of that kind of like enjoying the moment sort of thing. The best book I read last year was called 4,000 Weeks. And it was it was all about that because 4,000 Weeks is kind of the length of your life. If you're lucky, you get 4,000 weeks, which is not a lot. And this book was all—it was a lot about um, kind of how we're constantly, all throughout our lives, striving to get to the next thing, whether it's school or a job or the weekend or whatever, and actually just pulling back and going, no, maybe this is as good as it's going to get, and that is okay. And I definitely have found that as a professor. I'm quite, I'm quite happy in my lane. I found my little nerdy crew and making music for a few silly nerds is about all I need in life. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, now we yeah. will, of course, get back to the nerdy, geeky stuff. But 
part of it also is to sort of show who we are outside of that. So I was wondering, how do you describe yourself outside of your your nerdy, geeky stuff? Or is there part of you outside of that? Oh, God, I don't like to think about that part. <laughs> that's the part I'm, that's why I've got on my own office is to hide away from that part. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, predominantly, more outside of this, I would describe myself as a dad. That's the most important thing that I am. Being a dad and a partner is just, you know, that's that's everything. If you've got that nailed as a grown-up human man, then you're, you're sorted, I reckon. If I can be a good dad, then that's all I really, that's, that is an actual ambition that I want to achieve. Um, but, yeah, but, but most of my interests feed back into the nerdiness you know almost my my passions whether it's kind of horror or comics or hip-hop they're all kind of through the frame uh through the lens rather of that sort of nerdy the sort of passion that only nerds can have where you like i don't just like hip-hop i need to know every single hip-hop song that's ever existed there's kind of you know it's that that side of thing so yeah most i'm very very lucky to have been able to turn most of my hobbies into something to do with my work as well so i don't have to escape and um and have to deal with the real world very much apart from you know hanging out with my kids <laughs> and, my, and my partner I do demand that sometimes i take off of my pith helmet and talk like a normal human man <laughs> and of course all your boring business meetings that go with it as well yeah well exactly that's you know well, there's two sides of it. On the one hand, I've managed to make my nerdy passions into my living, but I've also sadly realised that the only way to make them into my living is by turning them back into kind of work. Like, you know, I have a very wacky job in some respects as a kind of middle-aged hip-hop MC, but most of my day is still spent doing effectively office work, which is which if you, could be quite depressing. You've got to answer the emails and do all the invoices and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. And there are times I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm supposed to be a rapper why am i entering a receipt into a spreadsheet for a pork pie i ate at a service station at 4 a.m depressing so yeah there's a bit of that <laughs> it's interesting because i was going to say people there's always this thing that if you turn your hobby into a job it's not a job but it's also not a hobby but i guess <laughs> it's true it's in your sense it's it's kind of different enough like if you were if, for example, you made a hobby out of podcasting and you loved podcasting, you are doing podcasting constantly and it kind of takes the fun yeah. out of it. But at least in sort of your area, the boring bits aren't doing the bits that you like, if any of that makes sense at all. Yeah, I think it does. I think I know what you mean. And and because it's one of the rules about having a happy job, whether it's your passion or just a, you know an employed job, is having... A friend described it on a graph once. We were talking about why well, we were in a call centre and every lunchtime uh, we'd go and get really stoned. And the afternoon would be loads better than the morning. Um, and I'd be like, why, why, is, why is this better now? You know, why? And he said, the problem is that our job is too boring. It's too easy. And every morning we struggle because it's too easy. So there's no challenge. But by making ourselves stupider every single lunchtime, it's suddenly this very easy job has become a challenge that you can just about meet. There's a graph you can chart where you need to have a series of challenges that you can just about achieve. Um, and although those days are long past, I do believe that to be the case. Like you should always be slightly out of your depth. And I try and do that with professor stuff in creating 
either art or merchandise or music that is a little bit out of my depth and I'm a little bit uncomfortable making and that keeps the whole thing lively so even if there are some boring aspects to it it's all for the kind of greater good if that makes sense but yeah at the moment I'm working on a, um, a tabletop game with this really amazing guy um, and we can bounce stuff back and forth I, that's an area of nerdiness I don't have much to do with I don't really know the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop games and fortunately he does, but I'm kind of completely out of my depth, but trying to work out as we go along. And that's that kind of stuff stops it from getting too boring. And the, and the same musically as well, you know, and it's important to do some albums that are not straight up professor albums, just to make sure that I can still hold it down as an actual proper rapper as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess your geeky journey, where, where did it all start for you when you started becoming interested in geeky stuff? I think that was just, it was just, you know, what it's like. You're born with it, aren't you? That, that slight sense of exclusion from your peers and not quite fitting in. I think for me, it's, you know, like, like a gazillion nerds around the world. It was that thing of like, I had lots of friends at school, but I didn't really have any that shared the same, quite the same passions. And it's a real, it, it was a way to sort of connect and find some solace. And particularly when things get difficult as well. You know, my parents split up when I was maybe 12. I think it was. And the fact that I quite liked comics and things like that, that's when I started really liking comics and hip hop because you latch onto things when times get difficult. And I, I don't know about you, but I found the, the early days of the pandemic where it genuinely felt like the world could be ending or forever changed. No one knew what the fuck was going on. I really found nerdy stuff to be such a comfort. Like going, I read a lot of old comics and I bought a lot of old comics on eBay. It's like, well, this is a part of the world that still makes sense. What's Batman getting up to? And that's, yeah. So I, yeah, I think that was, I think it's sort of initially as a kind of comfort blanket. And now it's just a, a yeah, a, a lens to view the world through. What about you? When did you, did you, was, were you a nerd right from the off or was there a point or someone that you met that got you into certain things? Uh, I guess I would, I was always a bit of a nerd. Um, it was mostly video games and that sort of stuff though. Um, and yeah, movies, but none of my friends, this is it. I think none of my friends um, read comics or were really nerds at all. It's really weird. Um <laughs> So I had, didn't really have the influence. So I picked up a few things here and there, read the Beano and all that sort of stuff. But that was, you know, Asterix and Obelix. That's kind of as far as it went. <laughs> it's quite good for you sometimes to be doing it on your own. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the problems is, I think that's one of the problems that we have now is that it's become bigger, which is good but it's also become bigger, which means we have to deal with each other. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I think mean, that's a, you've, you've nailed it. Cause I, you know, it's lovely that there's a sense of camaraderie and people can find their tribe. And I think that's the most beautiful thing, but yeah, occasionally you definitely, definitely find fun, more vulnerable people can be enticed by, you know, the, the wrong tribe. Well, there are plenty of manipulative people out there to go, no, come over here to the far right. We'll have you if nobody else will. And that's the kind of like, yeah, that's the sort of darker side of it. Or even, you know, when you see pylons on Twitter, of which I've, you know, been, been a victim of myself on occasion. And that's when you kind of see it at its, at its worst, when lots of quite potentially quite vulnerable people all decide, no, we can take that person down a peg or two. And it can, yeah, that's when it can, it can become quite ugly. But for all of that, 
it's mostly beautiful, and I don't think I think it's easy to get um, too caught up on all the dark sides of it. Most, you know, mostly the you know the amount of friends we make over the internet, the amount of communication and camaraderie. And if you're feeling like if you're feeling shit, and you went on Facebook or Twitter, and you know, and said I'm going through a thing at the moment, even strangers will get in touch and say lots of nice stuff. And you see those little acts of kindness all the time. So overall, I think it's a it's still a force for good. And most people are good as well. That's the thing, you know, most, most, it's easy to forget how good most people are. And, and social media is designed to, you know, make us often make us think the opposite because it's constantly trying to show us what's going to make us most outraged. But actually, most people are nice. I'm a great believer in that. And um, yeah, being a nerd is a constant reminder of that because, you know, I, I bounce around loads of subcultures I don't really belong in as well. I do anime conventions or science fiction ones or comic ones. Um, and and even you know sort of the cool music festivals and basically everybody's the same everybody's lovely everybody's looking out for each other yeah it's nice yeah so how did your interest develop like from the beginning you sort of you found things on your own what kind of geeky interest did you explore as you grew up well I think I was kind of bimbling along but the, the very the very first thing was my grandma used to work in a, in a news agents and she they used to chuck out all the comics and she knew I liked them so she would give them to me so I'd, I grew this huge collection of comics really sort of out of nowhere and then I met one friend a friend of mine called Jamie Bailey um, and he was the only other person I'd ever met who liked comics and there was like my best friend of the world and we've still you know still nerd out together as um, to this very day but he also liked hip hop as well and that was you know that was really Nobody liked hip hop in Suffolk. Jesus Christ, we used to get the piss taken regularly for liking rap music. And so I think the lovely, unique combination of having that one, we needed one friend, one friend who liked comics and liked rap music. Um, yeah, that was that was where it all developed. And then also there was someone to, to you know, when I was doing terrible, terrible rap songs that I'd made up myself, it was like the worst possible raps you've ever heard a little white boy do. Um, then you know, I had one other person to rap them to, and that made a difference as well. And Jamie was always incredibly kind and encouraging, even though he must have been thinking, "Jesus, why are you doing this?" So yeah, he's put up. He's put up under the knot. Shout out to Jamie Bailey. Yeah, it's all his fault. Basically, and yeah, anybody who doesn't like me, it's all Bailey's fault. He made me the man I am today. <laughs> so it's always been in you then, all the um, the hip hop. It's from the beginning. Definitely. When I was, yeah, it was a, there was a point, I had some relatives in America and long story short, I was about 12 years old and I had this really dodgy uncle who I idolised. He lived in a really rough part of town in, uh, in a town in Montana. And uh, I went over to his, his house when we were staying on holiday and he just went out for the whole evening and just left me there. And I hadn't, wasn't really used to being left on my own. We had a huge pile of old hip hop cassettes. And so I just spent the evening working my way through all of them and being kind of like, just excited by it. it was a sort of 1990s so it's kind of a golden era and also there was kind of the birth of some gangster rap and stuff and being impressionable and kind of like finding it as i think a lot of you know a, a lot of suburban kids did in that era it was kind of rebellion without having to actually do anything particularly rebellious <laughs> it's like oh i'm listening to naughty music <laughs> um 
And that just the, the like the words and the like the power of all of these words, and then it was quite a political time for hip hop as well. So hearing about all of these sort of political struggles that you just you know how would I possibly have known about any of it? I just yeah, I was absolutely obsessed about it. And and scarcity helps, I think, as a nerd. You, you know, most of us nerds quite like a bit of scarcity, and hip hop was hard to find, so it meant that I had to kind of seek it out. Same with American comics, couldn't find them very easily. That made me want them more. <laughs> That's still still the same to the very day. You always want the stuff you can't quite get hold of. Like even now, I've got I've got a complete set. I'm looking at them, I look at them regularly. Complete set of Kenner superpowers, 1980s DC figures, and there is one that I will never be able to own. I'll never be able to own the cyborg figure because he's 500 quid. <laughs> There's no way anyone could ever justify that. No, I mean, you should never have 500 quid for what is effectively like a tiny robot man. Oh um, yeah. I quite like the challenge. I sort of quite quite enjoy that he's always just out of my reach. <laughs> one day, you never know. One, yeah, one day. If all my ships come in, if so, Disney finally get in touch and say, actually, we do want to make a Professor Elemental cartoon. On that day, I shall buy that cyborg figure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were writing your own stuff from an early age. Was it back then? Was it more traditional, or was it going towards? the more geeky end of the hip-hop genre, oh, shall we so say. Bad. It was so bad. It was like, it was lots of like rap songs about, and I was even doing this right up to my early 20s. I thought I should, you know, battling was the way you should rap. So I, was, I would not only write whole, like battle raps about how like incredibly tough I was, um, and I would also write sometimes really outrageously awful lines, you know. Remember, my friend often reminds me, one of my lines was like, I've had it up to here. I'll take your mum from the rear. I would never do that. I would never take someone's mum from the rear, with, particularly without permission. It was the very opposite of anything that I am. And I also remember, I remember writing songs about like politics called like, I wrote one about South African politics called Shades of Grey. And just like, you know, just like, just the, just the worst possible like teenage poetry that anybody has ever written. I wrote it all. Um, but you have to do that. You have to be shit at something to become eventually good at something. So it was all part of the the journey to finally getting to where I was supposed to be. And I think, I think it was when I first started hanging out with other rappers and producers and people that knew me, they would go, yeah, that's that's all right, Paul, but you seem to have a Brooklyn accent and you're you're talking about taking someone's mum up the rear and that, that, that doesn't seem quite new. <laughs> and then eventually you kind of, eventually have the sort of confidence, go, okay, maybe this, there's another way of doing this. And instead of hiding all the things that I'm sort of potentially ashamed of, I'll bring them all to the forefront and talk about being middle class and, and just nerdy and all the rest of it. Yeah. So that came sort of as part of, I guess, accepting yourself as, okay, I am a nerd. This is now what I do. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just having that rather than as a way of sort of combating, you know, trying to be up with this sort of alpha male, just thinking, actually, that's not something, why am I pretending to be something that I wouldn't even want to be if I was, you know, something that I've, in, in casual conversation, I'll normally deride it. And then I'm sort of trying to act out like I've got some sort of skills and bravado that I'm not feeling at all. Um, and yeah, and that perfectly tied in with steampunk coming around at that sort of time and allowed me a way in of being able to kind of find my tribe in life. Once you found your tribe, everything's going to be fine, isn't mm. it? Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what I was wondering, because you've got, you went from one extreme to the other. I mean, how was the reaction? Or was it, did you happen to find that tribe at just the right time? <laughs> 
think amongst my friends, probably a bit of relief. Like, oh, thank God. It's <laughs> <laughs> those horrible rubbish verses and then forcing us all to listen to them. Um, but yeah, it was, it, uh, there was a middle, there was a nice middle patch where I was kind of, when I first moved to Brighton and I was, you know, trying out my hip hop and I'd been sort of booed off the stage several times in London. And then when I moved to Brighton, I did find it was a bit more accepting and there were sort of other rappers doing some unusual things. People like Tej and John Clark and Disraeli who would mix in folk music or more whimsical themes and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of, I'd, found, I'd started to find a new way of sort of, you know, expressing myself. And then the professor just sort of burst forth and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I could do this. And what was supposed to be a one, a one-off joke has turned into a decade-long <laughs> adventure. Now I'm trapped under a pith helmet for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> that is kind of, that is your character now. Has there ever been sort of a thought of changing it a bit or...? No, I don't think I've got it in me. I don't think I've got. I don't. I don't, I don't think I'm good enough to do anything. This will do nicely. But also, the character is so close to me in terms of his personality. There was always a really good Chuck Jones quote um, where he would talk about his classic kind of Daffy and Bugs cartoons, and he'd say, "Oh, Daffy is who I am." Uh, exaggerated and Bugs Bunny is who I wish I was exaggerated um, and the professor's kind of a bit of a mix of those two things as well there are kind of aspects of him as a character that I really admire and tap into his kind of like um, inclusivity and enthusiasm for everything that's me like times a million but also he's kind of quite egotistical uh, and um, can be quite shallow and hogs the spotlight a lot um, and they're the aspects of my personality that I'm not so proud of but I'm, I'm able to indulge in thanks to this lovely character. <laughs> And it's also a way of teaming that he, as I've said it in a few podcasts, but having, having this thing is a way of like focusing all your creativity through a single lens. So if I want to write a horror book or work with someone on a comic or make toys or whatever, I've got something that I can hook it into. I don't know that many people would want to buy a pool action figure, but I might get some people to buy a Professor Elemental action <laughs> figure. So it kind, of, yeah, it kind of all works out. <laughs> Was it always an intention in your life during the hip hop to sort of turn it into something you could make money out of or did it happen by accident? No, total, total accident. And it was just at the point where really I needed to start thinking about doing something different with my time because when you get to your early thirties, you know, it's no country for old men, the rap game, even on an amateur level, get to your early thirties and there's loads of young up and comers who are just looking at you like, what are you doing old man? Get off the stage, which is that's as it should be. That's as it always has been. It's almost like a sport in that respect. So having just found this kind of escape hatch to enable me to keep doing rap music uh, and keep teaming up with people, and also having having Tom Caruana producing it all as well. You know, if I didn't have a solid producer who would just continually give me these amazing beats to work on, it might have been uh, harder to keep it all going. But now it's just luck, just pure luck. You know, I'm very, I'm very fortunate. I used to kind of talk about how, yeah, I found a new way to do things and that's how I made my living. But as you get older, you go, well, not, that's not really true. You just got lucky, did the right thing at the right time. Because there was, you know, there was a middle period where I was still teaching, but I was performing and I was talking to people who were doing it full time and I was just rinsing everybody for advice. I was like, right, you do this full time. What's your secret? What do I need to know? And the best bit of advice I got was um, that if you're in a sort of, let's say you're in a job you don't like much and you've got something you're really passionate about and you're a bit scared that if you try your passionate thing and it doesn't work out, then, you know, what are you going to do? And this guy said to me, like, if you're in a job you hate, and you give it up and you do rapping for a living and it doesn't work out, 
just get another job, you hate. <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. It's not the end of the world. If it, if it fails and you go, oh, fuck it, well, that just nobody really wanted this and I'm going to have to go back to making it a hobby. Just grab another job and carry on. I know that might sound a bit sort of simplistic, but I think we're... I think society set up to have you slightly fear the idea that, well, what, what will I do for security if I don't have a job? And, and how will I get a regular wage? And actually, the security of a job is a complete illusion. The moment you're not making money for any company, no matter how moralistic they seem to be, you will be dumped. You'll be dropped in a hot second. So actually, it's certainly no more scary to be working for yourself. And if it's something you're passionate about and you had even a crumb of success or interest or a bit of affirmation from someone saying, oh, yeah, no, you should do this, um, then it's definitely worth pursuing and the other thing there's one more thing actually the other thing that people that really i really noticed was that i was like i've got some gigs but if uh, how would i have enough gigs to sustain me and somebody else said well yeah when you're not working full-time you've got the time to generate opportunities and take up opportunities that you never would when you're trying to balance work and your passion at the same time so yeah it's always worth taking the plunge otherwise you might die sad and regretful that you never did. There was a really good documentary with Jim Carrey and he talked about his dad in it quite a lot and how funny his dad was. And his dad was this like incredibly funny man, but was an accountant and never dared leave accountancy because he wanted to feed his family. And I sort of, I appreciate that pressure, but you know, Jim Carrey said he sort of, you know, he passed away sad that he'd never been able to achieve his dreams. And it's fine. There is nothing sadder than that. Imagine getting to your deathbed and going, oh, no, I fucked that up. No, I should have given it a go really, damn it. <laughs> That'd be horrendous. How long do I have you for, by the way? How are you doing? I know you've got a meeting. Ooh, I've got a good 15 minutes of fun. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Professor Action. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Don't, don't leave that in the podcast. No one needs to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> you, moving on from that, I'm now doing an old-fashioned 90s sex line. <laughs> 15 minutes of action. I'll talk about my trousers and my ape, taking off my hat slowly, that sort of thing. Marvellous. <laughs> There's an image. No, sorry. I'm so sorry. I've, I've derailed it. But. Um, right. Okay. Moving on from that. Horror. There's yes, a good, good segue. Horror. <laughs> yes, perfect. You mentioned it a couple of times. Do you remember your first sort of experience into horror and that sort of genre? How did that oh, happen? The first scary film ever, the first time being frightened. I feel like I've got a few little markers throughout my life of just seeing horrible things. Again, I think it was seeing, not that I, not that I encourage it as a, as a you know, way I've done it with my own children, but sometimes it's seeing something when you're a bit too young to watch it will kind of either instill a dread and hatred of that thing or it will instill, a, you know, a sort of a passion for it. And, I, yeah, uh, and I think, I think I saw... The Blob, actually, that was probably the very first film when I was about five years old and my mum turned it off, like, just as it was getting scary, the old 1950s movie. And I spent I spent days just going, Mum, what happened to The Blob? 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 Fine, just, there you go, watch it. And I was just, I was mesmerised. Um, and again, actually, even though I now, hip-hop is obviously the most popular form of music in the world, comic books are everywhere, but a love of horror is still the one thing that can silence a dinner party, fucking absolutely dead stop it. 
if I start talking about it with a, even with a little bit of passion, and particularly if I start talking about films I like, I have killed the conversation, and my partner is kicking me under the table, going, "Stop talking about the human centipede! Shut up! Stop having a nice party!" <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. But I, I, I quite like that. I like the fact that you know I've got I'm on a Facebook group called Books of Horror, and people always talk about these really shifty books, and you can sometimes tell in their posts it's like I can't really talk to anybody else about this book, but I've just read it, and I've got to tell you. Guys, <laughs> I quite like that. So uh, that's that's what I, that's the sort of proper nerdiness that I enjoy. Is there a sort of weird attraction to things that do put you on the sidelines a little bit? You nailed it! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Well, like that's exactly how I used to be with hip hop in Brighton. I used to, you know, to my shame, I used to get kind of quite grumpy and resentful with the other rappers and sort of say stuff online, be a bit narky about things. Like, um, but actually, I was desperate for their approval. You know, there were these kind of alpha males that I'd be a bit like, oh, I'm not like them. I'm better than them. But secretly, I wanted them to go, hey, nice job, Paul, and then if it is. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I go out of my way to find things that are just on the fringes of being approved. And I think I think I think that's quite a common thing with nerdy people because if you're someone who maybe got a bit bullied or you felt like you didn't quite belong, it's quite natural to seek things that kind of like you know add to that as a part of your personality. Yeah, and equally I am, you know, I'm a I, the I, I turn into comic book guy sometimes when everybody likes something. You know, when everybody likes something. Remember when Princess Diana died, Diana died and everyone was banging on about it, it made me cross. But then when there's a royal wedding, that makes me cross. The Olympics, that makes me cross. Frigging World Cups, Adele, anything that everybody <laughs> really enjoys, I hate it. Just on principle. <laughs> but that might be just because I'm a grumpy bastard rather than because I'm a nerd. Yeah, I'm a horrible person. I don't, I don't like to see people happy. <laughs> This is it, the secret. We're unraveling it now. Actually, you want the whole world to be miserable. Well, if you've seen my shows, then you're going to test that. I go out and try and do that every single weekend. <laughs> I've got whole bits of whole routines about, you know, where were all you Marvel movie likers when I was having to buy holographic covers drawn by Rob Leefield in the 90s? I sat through loads of episodes of Voyager and you just turned up Watching all the good stuff. You haven't done them, but the work in. That's what annoys me. <laughs> but again, I think that's also getting older, isn't it? That's just being old. You immediately look at anybody younger than you and think, you weren't here in the golden era of whatever it is I like. <laughs> but, you know, there's a, there's a period where that's quite uncomfortable. But then, you know, 47 now, and now I'm really getting into it, really enjoying the fact that I can, you know, wave at all the kids on my lawn and just go, ah, oh, you don't understand. It's very, it's very it's, you know, you're not going to be cool ever again. You might as well enjoy getting old and grumpy. Embrace your inner Simpsons comic book guy and start knocking off everybody. So other than sort of shouting at people, hmm. what benefit do you think that geek culture has on individuals, you in particular, on your life? Oh, it's, it's, it's literally... Everything from an appreciation of art to an engagement with the sort of bigger questions and the philosophies of life to camaraderie and friendship. I mean, it just, you know, it, it's woven into the fabric of everything you do to a certain extent. I can't remember the quote, but I read a quote recently and it was from a very famous 
high art director. I wish I could remember their name, but he was just talking about the fact that actually low culture and high culture should be viewed as having the same worth. And I genuinely think that sometimes I can read a very simplistic old Bronze Age Batman comic, but because of certain sort of moral questions that are, that are inherent within this really simple story, it can it can spin off a whole load of thinking about much higher things. Or, you know, you can appreciate the pop art of say an old Jack Kirby panel in the middle of a crappy, crappily written Marvel story. I think there's, there's, you know, aspects of beauty and high art to be appreciated through any of these things. Look at the Muppets. I love the Muppets. You know, the philosophy inherent in everything that the Muppets do and the outlook that they've got on life and that Jim Henson put into the world is a perfect example of how nerdy culture can be. It's a real force for good, you know. I genuinely believe that. Do you think people are too invested in... A stereotype then to look at the the outward image like just see oh it's the muppets and then turn around and go yeah i'm not even going to bother then do you think people are too <laughs> invested in sort of the outward appearance of it all sometimes but then again that like, draws back to the kind of like oh you don't like it's a little bit on the fringe more the more for me thank you very much <laughs> Um, and, I, and I also think, you know, things like, you know, comics are so subversive. I really, I'm very much a believer in the Grant Morrison school of how amazing superhero comic books can be and how they they often predict where culture is going. And, you know, and, and I think at the moment, just you, you can moan about the prevalence of too many Batman comics or how all the, you know, I'm not mad into Marvel at the moment. They're all a little bit too much like the movies, but actually they're incredibly, all the stories at the moment are really inclusive and the LGBTQ plus stuff is just like right at the forefront. And in some ways they're sort of, they're always a bit culturally ahead of where the rest of the mainstream is going. And I, you know, I think that's a wonderful thing. So um, yeah, so I, I still think, I, I still think that they are a mighty, a mighty force for all that is good in the world. But often ruined then by the the capitalistic masters that control. <laughs> it's a complicated picture. Yes, it is. Yeah, do you think if the popularity had happened a long time ago, or another way of looking at it, like in fifteen twenty years' time, after all this billions of dollars has been spent on it, yeah. do you think it will be better or worse off for it? Yeah, when it comes out the other side, I think it will probably be better for it. It's, it's, a, it's a really difficult question because on the one hand, yeah, it, you know, the huge influx of money and the cultural shift has enabled comics to survive. Superhero comics might not have even survived if not for, you know, this huge great Marvel, Disney, you know, behemoth that's come along. On the other hand, something like steampunk is a perfect example of a nerdy thing that no one ever made money out of, never really got that popular, has sort of stayed in its own little bubble and has been all the more beautiful for that, really. It's enabled people to make art without any restrictions at all times um, and just really lovely. So I think it's, kind of, it's a bit of a weak answer, but I think there's advantages to both, really. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I think when superheroes die out, and aren't quite so popular. Even now you're seeing things like Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, where they're like, well, we've kind of done all the basic stuff. We've done Avengers Endgame and stuff. What else can we do with superheroes? It's a bit like Westerns. Now when Westerns come out, they tend to be really interesting, cool ones, like that um, Power of the Dog Western. You know, they're, all, they're a, little bit, uh, the, a little bit strange and outliers. So when, when superheroes eventually become less popular, 
then we'll get some really cool movies and some really unusual art, I hope. Once money people take their eye off the creative process, things get better. Um, like in the 90s with hip-hop, the reason hip-hop was so good in the 90s was there'd be like some big fat white guy with a cigar going, I don't understand any of this shit. You just make some music, and if it makes money, then we'll put it out. And now, unfortunately, you've got loads of like executives who think they're cool and try and be part of the frigging process. Um, and they ruin, I think, a lot of the kind of creative stuff. They're like, you know, they're getting too involved. They want to be part of it all. Whereas I think one of the reasons DC, I quite like DC comics at the moment because I get the feeling they're not quite so invested. They're a bit more, um, you know, uh, sporadic. They're not quite so invested in a big whole picture. So DC are putting out these really weird mini series, just almost in spite of themselves, like Human Target and Supergirl and the Blue and Gold and the One Star Squadron. They're just kind of like you feel like they're no, they're sort of like sneaking them out when the boss isn't looking. <laughs> quite like that. <laughs> It's like Batman, 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 and then a few little weird things on the side. And I'm just ignoring all the Batman stuff and getting all the weird ones. <laughs> it's great. And I think comics have always done that. If you look at like Marvel in the 70s, you know, they had, that's when they put out loads of, they were, they're not my cup of tea, but things like Howard the Duck and all the weird stuff they used to do with the Defenders. They kind of just sort of snuck them out there. And yeah, Denny O'Neill used to do a lot of that in the 70s as well, like putting out really, really unusual stories. And they're often the ones that, in 20 years' time, people look back and go, wow, that was an absolute classic. No one thinks these things are classic at the time they come out. But, they, you know, it's the it's weird stuff that gets looked upon more fondly, I think, a lot of the time. So for for people who are listening to this, who have kind of got into the movies a bit, but still think, oh, that's a bit nerdy. I don't want to read the comics. I don't want to sort of get into the cartoons or that sort of stuff. What What would your message be to them to try and convince them otherwise hmm. uh, reading reading is the key don't worry about the movies and the cartoons and stuff just just read read get loads of stuff out of the library and see which ones you like and you know we're, we're in a, an age of luxury in terms of choice so you can just read loads of stuff and if it's not grabbing you you can chuck it on the bin get, get something else till you do find something because there will be something that suits you out there there's, there's something for everybody that's the nice thing about the world we live in it's just it's just digging around till you find the right thing for you If you'd like to find out more about the professor, you can follow him on social media at prof underscore elemental. His website is professorelemental.com and he has a Patreon, patreon.com slash professorelemental, where you can find various levels of exclusive content. You can contact the show at Era of Geek on social media or head to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. If you like the show, please do leave a review and tell your friends. You can also leave a review on podchaser.com. I don't know how long you've got left, but I just wanted to say... If you would like time to talk about Plastic Man, feel free. <laughs> no, it's all right. I reckon I've touched on it. I've touched on enough like weird superheroes and sort of. I've laid out my sort of all the things that I like in the world. So, no, on this one occasion, I will not start ranting about Plastic Man. <laughs> Blimey, that must be an important meeting then. <laughs> yeah, exactly.